Amen. God is good. Okay, we're going to do it again. I'm supposed to say God is good, and you're supposed to say all the time. And then I say all the time, and you say God is good. So we're going to try it again. You ready? God is good. And all the time. Hey, how many t- this week did God let down? No one. I love that. Isn't God amazing? God never lets us down. How many this week had an answer uh, provided by God? Amen. Amen. How, how many had a situation that they've been praying for that God brought and delivered? Isn't God good? So, does God ever let us down? God is good to us. I, I want to talk to you today. We're, we're in Isaiah 9, 6. We're talking about all of the names of Jesus, all of the titles ascribed to him. And, and one, of the, one that is so powerful, so important, so essential that you and I understand is Jesus as our wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9, 6, if you would put that on the screen, please. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. We talked about that last week, that all authority is given to Christ, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. A Wonderful Counselor. Don't you love counselors that speak with authority? I have told you this story before, but for those that, that have heard it, just pretend like you haven't, and, and those that haven't heard, you're going to be amazed. Um, years, years ago, uh, my brother-in-law and I were helping my father-in-law. We were actually contracting a house. We helped and built a house, and, and then we wanted to run a fence. This is in Arkansas in the middle of August. It's hot, and it was a 240-foot fence wooden fence we're out there and we're we dug all of the holes and set all the posts almost had a heat stroke had to go back come back and we were getting the fence all sit uh, situated and started putting the the boards the slats on and nancy's uncle her her dad's brother was an engineer for the state of arkansas and you have to understand that Uncle Jim was an amazing guy. He, he wasn't real tall. He, he was actually, you know, Nancy's dad was a big guy. He was a smaller guy. He had, he had type 1 diabetes. He, he didn't have any legs uh, below, right below the, uh, the knee, but he had these artificial legs, and he would just walk around, and nobody ever knew. I mean, he was such a strong person. He, he parked in the handicap spot at, at Walmart once, and a, and a lady, he got out and was walking toward the uh, store, and a lady started cussing him out, saying, that's for handicapped people. So he just pulled up his pants legs. And she drove off. So but anyway, he, he pulled, up, pulled up in his old uh, Chevy pickup, got out, dropped the tailgate down, and just sat there and watched us work. And we thought he was admiring us. And so with a little, uh, little pride, we, we said, Hey, Uncle Jim, what do you think? And I'll never forget his response. He said, Well, you can do it that way. And I knew, 
I knew at that moment that there was a better way to do it. And all the hubris I was feeling had just faded out. And I thought, oh. But he spoke with kindness, but he spoke with authority. He had a voice that wasn't commanding. He didn't ridicule. He just spoke. Well, you could do it that way. And I knew, and Donnie knew, that there was a better way to do it. Scripture tells us that Jesus taught as one with authority. And it wasn't as much just what he said, but it was also how he said it. Mark 1.22 says this, They were amazed at his teaching, for he taught as one who had real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. See, teachers spoke about what others had said or what others had ascribed, but Jesus spoke with one who, with authority because he was the author. He knew what he was talking about. See, Scripture will always be somebody else's writing until you learn to live Scripture. We'll say that again. I'm off my notes already. God help us all. Scripture is Scripture. It's the Word of God. But if you want to make it yours, you have to allow the Word of God to be worked through your life. If you hear that Jesus saves, you can understand it, you can even believe it. But until you experience that, that time where you surrender your life and God takes away the sin of your life and you walk away cleansed and refreshed and light and, and feeling like, like a thousand pounds have been lifted off your shoulders, until you understand that, it's just somebody else's words. But when you understand what forgiveness is, you can say, Jesus saves, because I know. It's, there's a difference in listening to somebody else's word and allowing that word to live in you. And it only comes through experience. See, teachers declare other people's opinions, but Jesus spoke with power and conviction because he knew, because he was the author Jesus spoke with authority about real truth. And his advice was unparalleled. One of the names that were described to Jesus, that wonderful counselor, the one that can give advice, sound advice, one that never gives wrong advice. Have you ever given wrong counsel? Don't raise your hand. I don't want you to feel bad. I'll raise my hand for you. Yes, we've all done it, have we not? Given, given counsel that we thought was right, but it was wrong. God never gives wrong counsel. Jesus never comes from, a, from a, a place where he says, ooh, I miss that. Jesus always has in this life, in this physical life, anything that the Lord asks you to do, anything that the Lord counsels you to do will be a benefit to you in this physical life. When, when God tells us to, to love your neighbor as yourself, he's not saying it for the benefit of the neighbor. He's saying it for your benefit. It's his counsel. It's his wisdom. It's his understanding that if you forgive 
somebody, then it's going to be a blessing to you in your spirit. But if you don't forgive, it's just somebody else's words. But when you really forgive, you understand the blessings of what the scripture really means because it's not just advice given by God but it's advice received from God and you have the true understanding of what it is to forgive all of scripture is that way not only in this physical life but in this spiritual realm what the scripture talks about about our spiritual life and where we're going and what we're going to be doing and how, how the Holy Spirit can transform and change our lives. It's just mere words until you take it to heart and apply it in your life. And when you take that sound advice from that wonderful counselor, that's when you're transformed. See, the Bible is just the Bible. You say, now hold on, Pastor. No, the Bible is just the Bible until, until you believe the Bible. And to really believe the Bible, you need to not just read the Bible, but apply it to your life. And that's when amazing things happen. Look what Paul said in Romans eleven thirty three. 33. He said, he's speaking of the, of the amazing counsel of God. And he says, all the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And here's, here's one of the most astute minds in, in history. And he is looking at, at the wisdom and the counsel of God. And he is overwhelmed. And he says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Can you imagine? Have you ever felt that way with God? That, that his ways are so far above ours? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it leads to death. You see, each and every one of us have this, this thing that we like to chart our own course and do our own thing and follow our own destiny. And yet... God in his divine wisdom and counsel has given us his word and his word makes no exceptions for our understanding. We may think that going one way is the right way, but what says the word of God? Marcus Aurelius said 10,000 opinions mean nothing if it's not based on truth. None of our opinions, none of the ways that we see, that we think are right, are correct if they're not founded and based on the Word of God. What we think we know, what we base things on, means nothing if it doesn't have God's Word as our authority. See, man's thoughts are, are apart from God's thoughts, and and our words are, are, are meaningless without his word. 
There's no circumstance that calls for us to bend the authority of the word of God. I know in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he said, you know, you said that, you know, God said to honor your father and mother, but you've said it's okay if you said I, I have given my gift to, to the house of God so I can't bless you. And, and you're skirting around the issue. And, God, and Christ said, you've taken God's law and you've twisted it for your own benefit. It's essential that we look at the word of God and we take the word of God for what it really says. God's ways are amazing. And can I tell you a secret? God's ways normally don't follow the logic of man. God's ways normally don't follow our ways. Who would have thought of walking around the walls of Jericho? Not me. What logic says, hey, let's walk around these walls. And when we do it, let's be real quiet. What logic says, no, let's not have a whole army. Let's just get 300 men and, and give them some lanterns and trumpets. Because I know the best way to defeat a big army that's against you is to hold up a candle and blow a trumpet. That's wisdom. That's, that's knowledge. That's understanding. And yet God does these things that goes against our own understanding. And you want to know why God does this? Because at the end of the day, man can't say, I did it. Who thought of a great idea to build a giant boat? What's your project, Noah? Well, I'm building a boat, big boat, ark. What are you going to build? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know. I think it's water from the sky, but it's never happened. But I'm going to build it anyway because God said you know how stupid he looked? Do you realize that it, it, he would have been on the dumbest people in the world TV show until it rained? See, God's ways, he doesn't always follow our logic. In fact, most of the time, God never follows our logic. And the reason why he doesn't is because he wants us, are you ready for this? To take his word and make it ours. And the only way that you can do that, the only way you can make the word of God alive and real in your life is obedience to him. There is no other way. You can study it, you can memorize it, you can know the Hebrew, you can know the Greek, you can know the Aramaic, you can, you can study it all, you can know it all, you can quote it all, but until you live it all, it's somebody else's words. Our God's part is to speak. Our part is to obey See, the most important part of Christ's wisdom is our obedience to his voice. 
our obedience to him. And you say, well, but sometimes I, I feel like the, the Lord speaks to me and it, and it makes me feel awkward. Yeah, welcome. That's what God does. Speaks to your heart and says, go speak to that person you've never met before in your entire life. Yeah, it's, it's go, do, go mow your neighbor's yard. Go do this. Go say, go say hello to that person. Whatever it may be, it's, it takes us out of our comfort zone. But it's one of those things that, that when you obey the Lord, when we... When Nancy and I were in, uh, we were in college. We had Miranda, which was her name was Mandy Jane back then, but don't tell her that. Poor girl. And uh, we had I had forty five dollars. I owed thirty five in tithing, and I know that Miranda was growing, and she ran out of all of her dresses. So we went down to. TJ Maxx, wasn't it TJ Maxx? And for nine dollars and something, we found a really good-looking dress. So prayed about it, sent off our tithing. We had no groceries, none, but I felt it in my spirit to give, and it shall be given. So we did, and. We took our, our last walk. We, we sent off our tithing. We had this dress, and then we decided we were going to go out to, to Battle Creek Park there in, in St. Paul, and we were going to walk around. It was kind of like, you know, that wasn't our last meal, but it was like, okay, here's our last time before we starve to death. And so we get back, and, and uh, you know, we're, we get back to our apartment, after an hour, hour and a half, get in, and the manager had let somebody in our apartment, and our cupboards were full, our freezer was full, our refrigerator was full. And the Word of God became more than just the words of Christ. It became mine. It was mine. Give and it shall be given. You see, it, the key is obedience to Christ. Doing the things that your logical mind says, this is not right. And yet, he allows us to challenge our logic he allows us to walk through it and we step out in faith this just doesn't seem right in our own mind in our own understanding and the numbers don't match up but God is saying move forward so you step out in faith and you move forward and then God just provides God just gives you this he does that he provides and and you look back and you say wow look what God did and it's because you stepped out in faith and you took the word of God and you applied it to your heart and now you can say as David, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why? Because you were obedient to what God had asked you to do. Understanding 
is not always part of the equation. And I would, I would say understanding is probably never part of the equation. Maybe it's because my mind is so simple. Maybe understanding doesn't come my way. But I do know this, that understanding of what God wants you to do and the reason why he wants you to do it are usually never at the same time. It's the obedience and then the understanding. Paul, here's living his life. He's out on the mission trail. He's, he is blazing a trail. He is winning people to Jesus. He wants to go into Asia, and, and the Lord says no. But wait a minute, Lord. It's right there. It's a good road. I mean, it's downhill. I don't have to walk uphill. It's amazing. They're right there. Logically, it made a lot of sense from where he was. If you look I believe in all the Bible. I, I, I believe in Genesis all the way through the maps. Look at the little maps. You got the little footprints. I love those. Uh, if you look at the maps, Paul was right there. He didn't have to take a boat. He could walk. And the Lord said, no, don't go. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you this vision about this Macedonia guy over in Macedonia. I want you to go over there. So Paul says, okay, I don't understand why I have to get in a boat and go over here because I, I have it charted and planned and graphed right here. Here's my plan, God, but you're saying go here. And Paul follows the Lord. And do you know how amazing it ended up? He got beaten and thrown in jail. I'm wondering if he thought for a moment that he had missed it. But isn't it amazing that during that, that time in jail, it's the jailer. See, here's, here's the part about God's plan that he doesn't show us. It's, he, he, what, he didn't tell Paul, Paul, I want you to go over to Macedonia. I want you to go get into some trouble, being be labeled a, a a person that's causing conflict. I want you to get beat. I want you to get thrown in jail because I want you to meet that jailer. See, God knew who he wanted to meet. God knew the circumstances because Paul would have thought, well, I don't have to be a, uh, a uh, rebel. I don't have to be somebody that is, is going to stir up trouble. I could just go talk to the jailer on his break. But it wasn't about talking to the jailer when he wanted to. It was God setting... Are you, are you listening for this? I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now. It was God setting the table that would put Paul and the jailer in the right place at the right time with both of them having the right heart. It's not just knowing who it's allowing God to say who what when and why and out of that we get the gospel of Philippians because Paul learned he did his part and then afterward Paul understood and isn't it amazing that God doesn't do it? Look, look at Joseph. Here's Joseph. He's probably about 17 years old. He's got all these siblings. 
one younger, everybody else old, 10 years older, and God gives him a dream that his dad and his, all of his brothers are going to bow down and they are going to serve him. I don't know about you, but if I was 17 and the Lord gave me that dream, I'm going to go tell them all. Guess what you're going to be doing, boys? Wouldn't you? And here's Paul, uh, and here's, here's Joseph, and, and Joseph is given this dream, and he shares this dream, whether it's out of uh, whether it's out of ego or whether it's out of just joy. I don't know why, why he did, but he shared it with him, and his brothers just said, ah, we're not going to do that, and they sell him into slavery, and he's a slave, and then his brothers thought that what they were doing was right. He, he serves in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with him and he says no I'm not doing it and, and she lied about him and Potiphar had him thrown in prison Potiphar's wife thought that she was right Joseph keeps going down the baker and the butler that are in prison Joseph interprets their dreams And they forget. They say, ah, we're not going to forget you. But they forgot. See, from the time that Joseph received his dream to the time he got out of prison and God fulfilled his dream, it took decades. If God would have said, Joseph, I'm going to give you this dream, but here's all the things you're going to go through. My guess is he would not have told his brothers. He would have probably not fulfilled it. See, Joseph's response in every step of the journey was to keep trusting God. I know the dream is from God. Abraham. Abraham, your descendants are going to be as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the sea. And here's Abraham, 100 years old, doesn't even have one, and he keeps walking in faith. And when he does have the one son at 100 years old, somewhere when, jo when, when Isaac is somewhere around 14 years old and, and Abraham's somewhere in the 114 plus, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, sacrifice your only son. Doesn't tell him why doesn't say anything keep in mind we're talking about Abraham the father of all of the faithful the first one that trusted in God has one son and God says your descendants are going to be as the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea and I have one son and now you're asking me to sacrifice him. Where's the logic in that? 
Well, here's, where's the human understanding? Now, wait a minute, God, you've given me one, and now you want me to sacrifice him, and you have promised me these things. And by sacrificing, by doing what you've asked me to do, it seems as if you're killing your promise to me. You ever been there? God's speaking to somebody. And yet Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham trusted God to the point that he knew that if he was to slay Isaac, God could raise him up. So they go, they go to, a, to the mountain. And every step they go up the mountain, God has a, a sacrifice coming up the other side. Abraham didn't know that. Abraham didn't know that there was going to be a ram stuck in a, in a bush that he was going to offer instead of Isaac. But Abraham trusted in God in spite of what things looked like. You may be here today and you, you may not understand. You may not understand the reason why God is allowing you to be in the situation you're in or what you're facing right now. But could it be that God is wanting to challenge your understanding of the way things are? Peter had, the Lord gave him a vision and said, Lord, uh, Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter, because of his upbringing, because of his theology, looked at it and said, no, I'm not doing that. And he didn't understand that God was going to open his eyes and understand that it was the Gentiles as well that were going to receive this great blessing. And God used that vision that dream that he gave Peter to help him understand that this salvation is far more than just for the Jewish nation. It's for all to whomsoever will. And yet here's Peter struggling with it. You know, to me in my own logic, my own understanding... I don't know why God didn't say, Peter, I'm, gonna, I'm going to have somebody come to the door. I want you to go with them because uh, there are Gentiles. And, and, and the Gentiles, you know, the, remember when you preached on the day of Pentecost and you said this is for us and for, for Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What I meant by that when I gave you those words was that the Gentiles were going to be saved as well. So uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go preach to the Gentiles because I'm going to save them as well. I don't know why he didn't tell Peter that. Except for the fact that Peter, when he saw the Gentiles filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of God became his word. And it wasn't just the, the words of Christ. It was 
Christ in him. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back if they would. I want to encourage you. Your faith in Christ is your greatest asset. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1.24 says. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Your faith in the word of God is your most powerful asset. But for the word of God to, to be more than a book, you have to step out in faith and you're not going to step out in faith unless you obey the voice of the Lord here's the disciples are out fishing all night can you imagine going fishing all night I know some of you anglers yeah yeah I, I, can, I can get that I do all my fishing down at Publix uh, but they're all out in the boat, they're fishing. You know how many fish they caught? Zero. They're, they're professional fishermen. This is what they do for a living. Do you think that they know? And here's Jesus standing on the shore, and he says, Hey, guys, how you doing? They said, Well, we haven't caught anything. He said, Cast your nets on the other side of your boat. You've got to look at the story. Professional fishermen. And who's telling them to cast their nets? A carpenter. The carpenter saying, I'm going to teach you guys how to fish. Do you think that some of them might have said, God, go back to building chairs? But they said this. I don't know why but because you said it I'm doing it and they did it obedience the Lord didn't say hey throw your net over there and I'm going to give you a bunch of fish he didn't say I'm going to give you one fish he says hey try the other side of the boat it was their obedience the Bible says that they had so many fish in that net that the nets were starting to break they had to get other people to come help them obedience to what God is calling you to do is your greatest asset because if you want the word of God to be yours if you want it to live and be vibrant in your life if you don't want it just to be words on the page but words in your heart it takes that step of faith that says I see the word I believe the word and when God asks you to live the word you step out in faith and do it and there's something amazing that happens so I don't know what obstacle you're facing today I don't know what you think is right I don't know what what others may say is best but I do know this as the words of the old song says trust and obey for there is no other way when following Jesus but to trust and obey would you stand with me